the Lord. Y'all sound good this morning. Get, grab your Bibles and uh, you can be seated. Thank you for standing and, and worshiping. We're going to enter into the word of the Lord and, and start a new um, series that I am, uh, it's not a real creative title because I, I kind of have a couple different directions I want to go with this, but I'm simply calling it Walls. And, and I want to think about walls a couple different ways, and we're going to begin this week by looking at what is probably the most well-known Bible story involving walls, and that would be uh, the walls of Jericho, the city of Jericho, and the uh, falling down of those walls. But really, when we say walls in this context, we're talking about obstacles or barriers, we might say, strongholds that need to be torn down. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but you have a stronghold in your life that you need God to tear down, an obstacle that you need God to break down uh, so that you can advance forward, whatever that is, step into uh, the promises of God, step into uh, strength and victory, whatever it is, there are many times walls that stand in our way. And we have to be able to overcome them. And so I want to look at that. Now, listen, I know, and I was, I was praying about this all week long. I know that we preach, and, and I was going through some of my, my sermon notes. I keep notes of every sermon that I've ever preached. And uh, I, I was realizing I have preached on Jericho probably about as much as I've preached on anything. The only thing that probably... Um, that I preach more on is, is baptism in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost, salvation, Calvary, uh, you know, praise and, G and the blood of Jesus and all of that. But when it comes to uh, just an Old Testament Bible story, um, Jericho is probably what I've preached on the most. But here's the problem when you're preaching on something like this. When you're preaching, you, you have a few minutes and, and you're trying to convey a thought very, very quickly and get to the point. And so oftentimes, and I've done this, we'll preach the walls of Jericho, uh, and, it, and it'll be something like, you know, just shout till the walls come down. Everybody, everybody heard that preach before? I've preached it. Shout till the walls come Or I've preached, uh, you know, you got to shout before the walls come down. How many believe that's true? You got to, Sometimes you got to praise before it happens. You got to praise until you see it happen. That's all good preaching. See, we could shout right now. It could get us going because it's great preaching. And there's a lot of good things there. But in reality, when you study uh, this particular story, and later in this series, I want to look at Nehemiah and the wall and, the, and Jerusalem and, and how walls can be a good thing. How many believe we need standards and holiness and righteousness? So there are walls that keep things out. There are walls that keep things in, and there are walls that block you. But when it comes to the story of Jericho and the walls coming down and all that, in, that it involved, this is a long, long story. And to preach it, because it's really a 42-year-long story in the making, and God was working in all of that. And to really, to really get the gist of everything that's happening, it, it takes a little time. And so I wanted to do it in a teaching format. I've never done that before. I've always just preached it. But I want us to dig a little deeper into the walls. Everyone said walls. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 1. 
And uh, I'm, I'm titling this section, When Walls Seem Too Tall. Anyone ever had an obstacle in your life that just seemed insurmountable? Anybody ever ha faced something that just seemed like it just absolutely impossible? I'm never going to get over that. I'm never going to get through that. I'm never going to see that break in my life. And I feel firmly that I'm, I'm teaching some people today, uh, and we don't necessarily want to talk about it out loud, but you are facing things in your life, in your family, in your home, maybe not, maybe not you personally, but your children, your grandchildren, and you see walls in their lives, and it affects you, and you are desperate to see those things come down, and you're desperate to see God work, and when you're being honest with yourself, you look at it and you say, this seems impossible. This seems too big. This seems too tall. And this is where we find God's people in Numbers chapter 13. Now, the first thing you need to understand about Jericho, everyone said Jericho. Jericho, without doing a geography lesson, uh, Jericho is, was just past the River Jordan. It was the first major city in the promised land, in the land of Canaan, that God had promised his people. And so when you cross the River Jordan, the first major city that the, that the Hebrews were going to have to face was going to be Jericho. They had a, a strong army. Uh, history, the Bible doesn't really describe. You'd think from the way people preach about it, the Bible gives this deep description of what the walls were like, but the Bible really doesn't tell us a whole lot about what the walls look like, but they have found uh, the remnants of Jericho. Archaeologists have discovered the remnants of Jericho, and it was a mighty city, and the walls were thick. They were so thick that chariots could uh, ride across the top of these walls. This wasn't just a, you know, a small little town. This was a thriving city in the ancient world, and... And it was the first obstacle, it was the first thing that they were going to have to face when they crossed the Jordan. And they had to overcome Jericho. If they couldn't overcome Jericho, they certainly weren't going to be able to take the rest of the land. And uh, sometimes we forget, and I don't want to get ahead of my lesson here, but after they uh, defeated Jericho, they still had a whole lot of battles to fight. And sometimes as Christians... In preaching, and this is why I wanted to teach it this way, we can give the, the impression that when you receive a major victory, that you're never going to fight another battle, that that victory is the victory that ends all victories. Listen, in this world, until we stand before God and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, there are going to be other battles that we have to fight. But the key to continued victory is to be able to look back and say, I remember that the walls fell down yesterday, and if God could knock walls down yesterday, he can knock walls down today. If God could deliver me yesterday, he can deliver me today. It's so good to see my Aunt Gina here today. Uh, Pastor, sister, we love you. She snuck in on me there. So Numbers 13 and 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan which I gave unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, shall ye send a man. So 12 men, for one for each tribe, every one a ruler among them. So send uh, men who are leaders in those tribes. Choose 12 of them, send them into the land, let them scout, let them uh, spy out the land, and come back with a report. Notice God did not ask them to go and determine whether or not they could take the land. 
God wasn't asking for them to go and come back and say, can we do this or not? God just wanted them to give a report of what it looked like and what it was going to be. And so Joshua and Caleb are the two most notable among these men that Moses wound up choosing to go and scout the land. Numbers 13, 23. And they returned from searching the land and they told Moses, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. So it's everything God said it was going to be. God said it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, and it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And they brought pomegranates and grapes, and they brought uh, fruit that was, uh, that was magnificent, really. It was impressive. And then they continue on, but they move from affirming the promises of God, and now they begin to speak faithlessness. They say, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak. These were giants. These were the six-fingered, the fabled six-fingered giants of the Old Testament. And so they said, we went in. It's everything God said. It's beautiful. There's, there's vineyards. There's houses. There's fruit. There's, it's, it's a land of plenty. It's a land of abundance. And we stepped in, and it's certainly a good land to live in, but there's just one problem. There are giants there, and the cities are walled, and the people are strong, and there's really no way we're going to be able to take this land. There's really no way we're going to be able to obtain this promise. As much as we'd like to, we just aren't going to be able to do it. And so let me run real quick through the, the report that the ten spies brought back. Everyone said the ten spies. So there were 10 spies who came back with a negative report, and then Joshua and Caleb came back with a report of faith. So here's what the 10 spies said. Number one, the Bible says that they delivered an evil report. Someone said an evil report. God associated their fear, God associated their faithlessness with evil. And that's a lesson that we need to learn because sometimes we think that uh, our fear is no big deal and our faithlessness is no big deal. And God often looks at it and says, if I told you you could do it and you say that you can't do it, that's evil. Mm. And I know that hurts to hear sometimes, but, but God responded to this with anger. He said, this is an evil, evil report. Number two, they focused on the obstacles rather than God. They focused on the obstacles rather than than God. We're all guilty of that sometimes, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. I know that I am. I have to I have to really search my heart sometimes because it's easy to get so focused on all of the giants and all of the walls and all of the barriers and all of the things that make it seem, you know, I've said this before and I, I pick on myself, but I pick on myself because it's true. Um, I, without the help of the Holy Ghost, I am a glass half empty kind of person. Is that okay? Can I admit that? I see your judgment. That's all right. I'll find something to judge you about. No, I'm just kidding. I am. Without the help of the Holy Ghost, I tend to be a glass half empty kind of a person. But can I tell you, that's something that you need to overcome in the spirit realm. When it, now, when you're doing your budget, maybe you want to be a little glass half empty, you, you might be okay. But when it comes to the things of God, you need to be able to say, if God said it, I believe it. We're going to do it. We're going to go. It's going to happen. 
And if in the spirit realm, when it comes to the supernatural, when it comes to the things of God, the house of God, if you become more focused on the enemy and you become more focused on all of the things that say we can't have revival, mm, we're going to preach here, or all the reasons why God won't do this or God won't do that or why, no, 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 you're looking at the giants, you're looking at the walls, it's time to lift up your eyes under the hills because that's where your help comes from. Thirdly, they allowed their insecurities to define them. They, they said it this way. They looked at the giants and they looked at the walls and they looked at all of this abundance and they said, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Now, notice they didn't say they called us grasshoppers. That would hurt your feelings. Nobody likes to... Nobody likes to get made fun of. No one likes to be told they're short. Of course, none of the Frenches are ever told they're short because we're so tall. We never deal with that. Nobody likes to, to be told something negative about themselves, but they weren't even echoing what the enemy said about them. You know, preachers, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the devil whispers in your ear or the enemy's, you know, putting thoughts, and, and that's true in many cases. But did you know that you are just as capable of allowing your insecurities to stop you without any help from the devil at all. They didn't need any help at all from the enemy. They just looked around. They just looked at the enemy and they said, we feel like grasshoppers. We, we feel insignificant. We feel powerless. We feel like we don't have any right to even be here. We don't feel like we're ever going to be able to mount anything in this land. And we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Your own insecurities are a form. Now, listen, I'm going to get a little heavy here. Your own insecurities are a form of humanism. Here's what I mean by that. When you, when you begin to look within yourself for the answer, you have turned your back on God. Because there's a lot of things that we can't do by ourselves. We can't lay hands on anybody and see them recover. We can't fill anybody with the Holy Ghost. We can't forgive anybody's sins. But what we can do is we can look beyond our own insecurities and we can say, I know a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I know a God who is able to step into this situation. And it becomes a form of faithlessness when you are constantly consumed with your own insecurity. Now, listen, pastor just preached a tremendous lesson on humility. I'm trying to get him to go back and do all eight variations of the Hebrew word from the Old Testament on humility. And we need to twist his arm a little bit and get him to continue with that lesson because it's fantastic. We need to have humility, but humility is not insecurity. Did you know that? See, some people think that insecurity is a form of humility. No, no, no. Insecurity is not what God wants you to live in. Insecurity is not where God wants you to dwell. God wants you to rest in his might because it's not by our might. It's not by our power, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so they allowed their own insecurity. Now, we all have insecurities. We absolutely do. Um, I remember... I remember the first time that the Lord started dealing with me to preach, and uh, and I was in Bible college, and uh, they had a, a ministerial student association, and what they would do is they would get four or five 
uh, preachers together, young Bible college students, and they would take all four of them and you'd go to a church somewhere. You remember this, Dad? They, they'd send you to some poor, unsuspecting church. <laughs> God bless these poor churches that let us come. And, uh, and you'd go, and, and because you really weren't, you hadn't done much preaching, at least I hadn't, um, you, you'd all get 10 minutes. So there'd be four students, you'd all get 10 minutes, and it'd be a 40-minute sermon. And uh, you'd go, and you'd usually go to their night service back when everybody had night services, you know. I don't even know how people preach anymore in Bible college. No one has night service. And nobody's going to give it, you know, an 18-year-old their Sunday morning service, you know. And so we would go, and, uh, and I remember the first one, they really, they pushed me for a long time to go, and fear stopped me. I, I turned them down for a long, long time. And I remember dad was, uh, he pulled me in the office one time and said, you know, they're asking you to go, and you feel a call on your life, and it's, it's, it's really not right that you would feel a call and then, you know, turn down an opportunity to, to go preach, and and I said, well, you're right. And so uh, I said, yes. And it was a month out. They said, it's going to be in a month. And they told me where. And we had the plans. And I said, you've got 10 minutes. And they, and they literally would tell you, if you go over 10 minutes, we turn the mic off. And I said, well, you can leave it off the whole 10 minutes if you want. That's fine with me. <laughs> you don't have to turn it on to start with, you know. And, uh, and so I had a whole month to prepare and to, to pray and to, and to plan. And can I tell you, I didn't sleep for an entire month. I didn't sleep for a whole month for that 10 minutes. Some of y'all wish I could only preach 10 minutes now. But, uh, but and, and, you know, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to fill 10 minutes. I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And uh, somewhere, somewhere, my brother Nathan has a, a blackmail tape of me preaching that first 10-minute sermon. And... Uh, my voice was so high. Now, I know I have a deep, powerful, anointed voice now, but, but I was so scared. Do you ever hear someone who's truly terrified their voice goes up about three octaves? You know what I'm talking about? I sounded like Mickey Mouse preaching. I was way up in the rafters somewhere, and I preached something about David. It was terrible. I don't remember what it was. That precious church was so kind to me. And one, one precious lady came up to me afterwards, and she said, you know what? You tried so hard. You should be so proud that you tried as hard as you did. That was about the, that was about the kindest thing she could say. You know what? I appreciated it. I really did. I took it. I said, you know what? I'll take anything right now. And, uh, but I was terrified. I had, I had all kinds of, uh, of insecurity. Uh, I had all kinds of things because that's human nature, right? We all have human nature. Anybody remember the first time you tried to witness to somebody and teach a Bible study, the fear that you felt? It's, in, it's intimidating. So I'm not, I'm not taking away from the fact that we're human beings, but I am saying that if you allow your insecurity to keep you from the will of God, that is a dangerous thing. It's one thing to feel the insecurity. It's another thing to allow the insecurity to rule you. And that's not where God wants us to live. God wants us to overcome that. We are not... Often what we think we are, we're what God says we are. When, when, God found, uh, when, when God found them, they were, they were slaves in the land of Egypt when he delivered them. He brought them out, and he delivered them for a purpose, and they needed to rest in that purpose. And I believe that God delivered some of you for a purpose, and you need to rest in what God has for you and where God is taking you. So, fourthly, they verbalized defeat by viewing the battle carnally, 
rather than spiritually. In other words, they began to talk about their defeat. They talked about their inabilities, and they viewed this through the lens of what they could do and not through the lens of what God could do. They completely removed God from the equation, and we're all guilty of that. I, I, I have to pray, and I have to say, Lord, there are things that seem impossible to me, and if I was doing it by myself, it would be impossible. Now, that is humility. When you say, Lord, if I was just trying to do this, this wouldn't be possible. But I'm going to put God in the equation. And once God gets in the equation, anything is possible. Once God steps in, you always have to make room in your planning for God. You always have to make room in your equation for the God factor. Because when the God factor steps in, everything changes. And so they forgot that, and they removed him. They spread their evil report. Now, here's where things really got dangerous, and here's where they really stirred the wrath of God. And we should take note of this, because it's one thing. I believe that God has a lot of mercy when we struggle personally on our own in our hearts. I believe that God can deal with us, because we all have things uh, inside of us that sometimes we have to get victory over, and we have to let God help us through it, and and we don't always have the faith that we, I know most of you do, you have faith that moves mountains every day. You wake up moving mountains. I understand that. But, but for some, the rest of us humans over here, you know, we, we have times where, you know, we have to let the Lord help us and we have to get our spirit right. And, you know, we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we stub our toe and all of that. And, and, uh, and maybe we missed our, our prayer time, whatever it is. And, and things happen in our lives and, and we're not everything that we need to be. But here's where things really get dangerous. When you begin to spread your faithlessness among other people. When you begin to sow division and discord. When you become a voice of disunity. When you become a voice of doubt. When you become an influencer of others. When you take it beyond your own struggle. And then you load your struggle on the back of your brother or your sister. God becomes very angry. Yes, he does. It's one thing to say, Lord, I, I, I believe, but help thou my unbelief, right? That, I think God can, God can help you when you're doing that. But the moment you start going to people and saying, I want to get you on board with my doubt, you're in trouble. Yeah. And so they began to spread their evil report among the people. They, these ten spies literally went through the camp of Israel. They went through the house of Israel and they began to spread this evil, wicked report, this faithless word. And they said that we're just never going to be able to do it. We've been out here doing all this. God delivered us just so we could die out here in the wilderness. We're never going to see the land flowing with milk and honey. Have you seen the giants? Have you seen the walls? And they spread this. God was angry. It brought a spirit of despair and defeat among all the camp and the people literally began to weep in sorrow. The entire camp began to weep and mourn because these 10, remember God told him to choose leaders. So these 10 spies were leaders in their own tribes. These were respected men. These were well-known men. And when they began to go through, it'd be like a pastor going through and saying, listen, we're not going to be able to have revival. We're not going to be able to see miracles anymore. We're never going to be able to have victory. And the people began to weep. And mourn. And then their mourning and their weeping turned into something uh, more nefarious. They began to murmur against the man of God. 
faithlessness and doubt and disunity will always put you at odds with the man of God. And so they began to, to backbite against Moses. And they even contemplated going back to Egypt. They said, you know, at least uh, in Egypt we, we, uh, we had certain, certain good things. At least in Egypt we had this. And at least our children had this in Egypt. And so they thought, well, we'll just go on back to Egypt. Maybe they'll take us back in and we can overthrow Moses. We'll get a different leader, maybe one of these ten spies. And we'll just start over and figure it out from there. And, and then when Joshua and Caleb contradicted their report with faith, they literally began discussing stoning Joshua and Caleb. Anybody ever noticed that before? They talked about killing Joshua and Caleb just because Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take the land. They were just trying to, to preach victory. They were just trying to preach faith. And when they started talking about faith, they said, why don't we stone them? That's how bad it got, and that's how dangerous it is when we allow our fear to become contagious to other people. And so God struck the ten rebellious spies dead and declared that no one would be allowed to enter the promised land for another 40 years. Everyone said 40 years. Now, at this point, they had been in the wilderness for about two years. It had been about two years since they had left Egypt, and now God said, you're going to have another 40 years, and so... Uh, if you can do a little quick back of the napkin math, that's about 42 years. That's a long time to be in the wilderness. That's a long time. Faithlessness and fear and insecurity and all of that kept God's people out of their promise for 42 years. 42 years. Now, I want to look uh, at, go to the next slide. And I want to look at um, what happens when God's not involved. And th this is, I, I'll be honest with you, this is why I wanted to teach this and not just preach it. I had never noticed this before. And I, I, I know I've read it, but uh, it had never stuck out to me before. Numbers 14 and 40. Is that okay on the screen behind me? Yes. And they arose up early in the morning and get them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised for we have sinned. Everybody catch that? So. God said, uh, you've sinned against me. He struck the ten spies dead, and he told everybody else, he said, uh, it's going to be 40 years of wandering. Uh, the people who, who doubted, uh, who are above 20 years old, they're not even going to see the promised land. Your children will see the promised land. Joshua and Caleb will see the promised land. But a whole lot of people here are never going to see it. You're going to wander a long, long time. And so then the people were sorry, and they said, well, Listen, we realize we've sinned. Now, how many understand it's a good thing that they realized they'd sinned? But then they said, well, we've sinned. And so then you know what their solution to their sin was? We'll disobey God again. <laughs> we all know people like this, don't we? I've sinned, so I'll just disobey God again. And maybe this time it'll be different. No, God said you're not to go into the promised land for 40 years because I will not be with you. But there was a whole group of people who said, listen, we realize we did wrong, but we can go take it now. And they got themselves together after all of this fussing and fighting and faithlessness. They got themselves together. They ran up to the top of the mountain and they decided they were going to take the land. And the enemy defeated them instantly because God was not with them. God was not with them. This is what happens when you try to tear down walls without God's help. 
This is what happens when you try to fight battles without the favor of God. Don't you dare go into battle until you know you have the favor of God. Don't you dare enter into spiritual warfare until you know you have the favor of God. And I know I'm in the Old Testament. And I'm going to switch into a New Testament gear here. But don't you dare lay hands on somebody if you're not full of the Holy Ghost. I see people trying to cast out demons, and they better be careful. They might wind up with a demon before it's over. All right. Yeah. Because when you start trying to go into battle without the help of God, you're going to, yeah. Yeah. All those things that you thought about yourself are going to come true because we're nothing without Christ. We're nothing without the help of God. We find our strength in him. We find our, our power in him. It all comes from God. And so God was not with them, and they were smitten by the Canaanites. And so this is what happens when God is not involved. All right, I'll go to the next slide. Now, I want to look at Joshua and Caleb's, uh, the, two, the two spies that came back with a good report. Here's what they said. They they demonstrate the right response to obstacles. How many want to have the right response? They demonstrate the right response. Caleb tried to quiet the people. He urged them to go at once and conquer the land. He spoke from faith and not from fear. Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes in grief over the rebellion and disbelief of their brothers and sisters. When they saw the people rebelling against God and Moses, the man of God, they stood on God's side. They stood on the preacher's side, even when it put their lives in danger, even when it when it put their popularity in danger. They didn't go with the flow or get with the crowd. They said, we are going to stand on the Lord's side, even if it means they stone us to death. We're going to say the right thing, do the right thing, believe the right thing and stand with the Lord, no matter what anybody in the church has to say about it. Remember, this was God's people. We're not talking the world versus the church or the world versus God's people. We're talking uh, uh, disunity among God's own people. And they said even in the church, even when the church rises up again, even when God's own people, even when the saints come against me, I'm going to do the right thing. You know, I wasn't going to do this, but I just feel like doing it anyway. Do you know I, I've seen a lot of people uh, lose out with God because a saint did him wrong? Is that okay? Y'all all right? But you know what that tells me? You know, they, a saint does them wrong, and so then they hate the church, and then they hate the pastor, and then they get mad at God. That tells me you didn't have a good relationship with God. Because in the end, it's not about how you treat me. It's not about how someone over here or someone over there or someone back there. It's, not about, it's, it's about my relationship with God. And so the spirit of Joshua and Caleb says, it doesn't matter what the saints do to me. I'm going to be on the Lord's side. I'm going to stand on God's side because if I want walls to fall, I've got to be on God's side. I've got to stand where the anointing is. I've got to stand where the glory is. And so they were, they were grieved by people who went against God. They stood with the man of God. If you want to have favor with God and see walls fall, you need to stand with the man of God in your life. I'm going to say that again. If you want to see walls fall, you better stand with the man of God in your life. Mm, all right. Yeah, see, there's a whole lot more to these walls falling down than just shouting one time. A lot more went into it than just shouting. Shouting's good. Brother Ryan believes in shouting. Don't go home and say, Brother Ryan thinks we ought to be dead and quiet at church. No, no, no. But there's a whole lot more than shouting. Shouting's just a small part of what happened for the walls to fall. 
They demonstrated faith, obedience, courage, loyalty, strength, dignity, and sincerity in the face of danger from within. Everyone said within and from without. You know, there are times when, as a child of God, when you're going to have to stand against forces within the church and outside of the church. Well, that's not fair. Nobody ever said it was going to be fair, honey. You just got to be ready to stand against forces within the church and without the church and say, I'm going to be on the Lord's side. That's why Joshua later on in life could stand up and say, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Yeah. You think that courage just happened overnight? You think he just got up and drew a line in the sand and said, but as for me and my house will serve the Lord? You think he just woke up one morning and started talking like that? No, no. He built that up because he was a man who had learned how to stand with the man of God. And he had learned how to face adversity even when everybody and everything was against him. He had developed that anointing. He had developed that strength. He had developed that courage as a young man and as an elder, that courage shined in his life. All right, going to the next slide. So Joshua and Caleb were rewarded for their righteousness. Everyone says righteousness. Their lives were spared from the judgment of God. So God struck the other spies dead. Joshua and Caleb were spared. Most importantly, God took special notice of their righteousness that day. Now, I know God knows every hair on our head and all of those things, but I believe that there are defining moments in our lives when we take a stand and God says, that's what I was looking for. I believe there are watershed moments in our lives where, where we, we do the right thing and God says, that's what I was waiting for. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for that response. And in this moment, Joshua and Caleb, when they stood up and did right, God took notice of them and began to bless them from that day forward. That doesn't mean their life was always easy, but God put his hand on their life from that day forward. Joshua went on to become the leader of God's people. After Moses died, he replaced Moses and, and became the leader of God's people. In fact, one of the greatest leaders in all of the Old Testament. Caleb received the first and most desired plot of land for his inheritance after they finally entered the land of Canaan. He was given the choice land. He was given the first lot, the first pick, and he had the hand of God on his life, and he was a mighty warrior in battle. All of this because God took notice of their righteousness. Their legacies live on in the halls of faith and inspire us even today. How many have been inspired by Joshua and Caleb? You're, if you've been in church a while, they've inspired you. Two of the most inspiring people in the Bible, and they're still touching our lives today because they took a stand when it was difficult, and God blessed them for it. Okay, moving quickly. So 40 years later, Joshua hears from God. Joshua 1 and 6, let me see if we're there. Yes. 40 years later, everyone said 40 years. They'd been wandering. We're skipping a lot of things, but all of this happened. A lot of time goes by. And suddenly God speaks to Joshua and says, be strong and of a good courage for under this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Everyone said all the law. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou, shalt not, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Everyone said, all that is written. 
for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I want you to notice that before they ever shouted, before they ever marched, before they ever stepped up in front of the wall, God spoke to Joshua and said, I will give you the land and I will give you the victory, but you better have the law of the Lord in your mouth. Obedience always comes before the victory. See, we can't shout about that because we're not preaching about shouting. It's not as fun, is it? But it's true. You know why some people shout and never see walls fall down? Well, preacher, I shouted. Preacher, I praised. You know why? You know why you didn't see anything fall? Because you're not walking in the word. Well, I shouted and nothing happened. Well, because you're not walking in the word. You, you, you want to skip the word and get to the shout, but before you can get to the shout that brings walls down, you've got to have the law of the Lord in your heart. <laughs> Hallelujah. You've got to walk the walk before you can shout the shout. Yeah. And so God reminded Joshua, if, you're not, if you don't have this word in your heart, if you're not walking according to my statutes, according to my law, you can shout all day long, you can walk out there all day long, and nothing's going to happen. But if you will walk in my word, if you will be strong and courageous, I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to give you the blessing, I'm going to give you the anointing, there's no weapon formed against you that's going to prosper, there's no enemy that's going to defeat you if you will walk in my word word hallelujah amen all right i'm out of time let's stand and clap our hands to the lord why don't we lift up our hands and say god i want to walk in your word today lord we want to have victory we want to have power we want to have strength we want to have authority but it begins in your word it begins with obedience god i pray that our shout would shake walls but lord i pray before we ever shout we would walk in your word so that we could have the anointing necessary I give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name.